You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. You may be wondering why I'm wearing a Memphis uh, jersey, particularly uh, as a Braves fan, but this has absolutely nothing to do with sports per se. Uh, I'm not a Memphis Grizzly fan. I'm uh, not necessarily a Ja Morant fan, although he's an incredible basketball player and I lo- love to watch him play. Uh, I'm a Hawks fan, but this has nothing to do with sports and everything to do with the city of Memphis that I've been in the last week and then not this past week but I was gone for two Sundays preaching in Memphis at two different churches uh, and then serving that week along with our mission team that was back here last weekend. Appreciate Pastor Keevan and then also Pastor Justin speaking here while I was gone but I loved the privilege that I had to be able to speak at Monument of Love Baptist Church and then also our Every Nation Church Kingdom Church in Memphis and so this shirt really represents the fact that we are partnering with and going to a city here in our nation that I believe God has connected us with. As you think about the the the, the value and the perspective of how you go about choosing where you're going to go in missions work. How do I end up in a place that I am? How does the church decide on where they're going to go? Of all the cities and of all the places and of all the nations, I can't go everywhere, but I know God has called us to go. We can't go to every place, but we can go to some place. So how do we come to that place of deciding where is it that God has called us to go? And what we need, because there's not a wrong answer necessarily, we need the wisdom of God to be able to make a decision to go to the place that God has called us to go go. That's what I want to talk about today. God has partnered us together with this city because of his wisdom that we've leaned into and listened to to be able to go there. Just like all the other places God has called us to go. But I think this city in particular has a real connection to who we are as a multi-ethnic church in the South, just like Memphis does, and Pastor Steve trying to plant a church in Memphis that is multi-ethnic, just like we are. And the phenomenal thing about it is God has to do that impossible work. Steve just planted this church two years ago. He was in his church plant for one year and COVID hit. Talk about impossibility. And yet I was overjoyed to be able to get together in a small group with that pe- those people and encourage them that God was calling them to something powerful and unique that God wanted to use them for. How did this start? A few years ago when COVID hit and our youth couldn't go to where we'd normally gone in Baja, California, Mexico, right? And we couldn't go to South Africa as an adult team. Well, Kiva's trying to decide where can I take the youth stateside? So he comes into my office and we're down to two choices. Pastor Brandon, I want to ask your wisdom or counsel here. Where do you think we should go? Now, there's no wrong choice here, right? It was either Appalachia or it was else. It was Memphis. There's no wrong choice. But in that moment, we had to depend on the wisdom of God. He was submitting that thought to me, which is a wisdom thing for him to do. Where do you think we should go? I'm Lord, Lord, where should we go? And it was 
clear. We're to go to Memphis. And now we've been going, it's our third time. I believe God has a strategic spot for us there that helps not only encourage the people on the ground in Memphis and all the ministries we're able to partner with, but encourage us here as a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church in the middle of Evans, Georgia. There's a connection that we are able to lean into because of the wisdom of God and us being able to hear the wisdom of God. So there's the reason for the shirt. It's actually not my shirt. I just stole it from my wife. So, but I like it. I'm just, I'll give it back after today. You ever notice how putting the prefix un before a word is our semantic way of getting our point across in the least offensive way possible? Like we're really trying to express our displeasure or our disappointment in something, so we use the prefix un to soften the blow, if you will, or to be least aggressive in voicing what we really feel. For example, if you did something, right, we'd have the word kind. If you did something that was kind, we'd say so, but then if you did something that wasn't, then this is why we would go about it. Well, that was kind of unkind, no, it was mean, right? And we just use UN before any word, and it's, we're saying it's not the way it's supposed to be, but it's softening the blow. I'll give you a few more examples because I think we should call it like it is, right? That was mean. It wasn't just unkind or that was unintelligent. No, that was stupid, right? That, that, that softens the blow. That's what I'm saying. We like to do. How about unkempt? No, you're a slob, or untruthful, liar. Well, that was unfriendly, Pastor Brent. You're a little unfriendly this morning. Rude. He's rude. And this is the truth. It relates to our subject matter today. When we talk about being wise, and we might say, well, that is unwise, to which the book of Proverbs and James and many other places would say, no, it's not unwise. You're foolish. You're acting a Fool. Oh, you can't say that. Very clearly, this is how Paul, James, Proverbs describes those who act unwisely. One of the things that's bothered me greatly over the last year and a half, particularly, is the apparent absence of wisdom in the words and the decisions and actions of people in general, but more disturbingly, people professing to be Christ followers. People professing to be the body of Christ, the church. And my hope today is to call us up to a better place, to encourage us towards godly wisdom. If you follow our line of thinking thus far, we might say some things that have been said or done in the world in the last year and a half would be unchristian. Well, that was so unchristian. Actually, James would say, no, it's demonic. It's more than unchristian, it's demonic. And although I would like to do a, a deep dive into the wisdom literature of the Bible like Proverbs and, and Ecclesiastes, and we probably will, today I want to start in the book of James. So if you have your Bible with you in the New Testament, if you turn to James chapter 3, verse 13 and 18, and we're going to look at why wisdom? Why does wisdom matter? Why is it important that we would be wise and make wise decisions? Why of all the things that Solomon asked for, did he ask God to make him wise? Of all the things he could have gotten, Lord, I want to be wise as you are wise. Let's be honest, it's easy to find people saying or doing 
unwise or foolish things. It's pretty easy. There used to be a book years ago called the Darwin Awards. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Darwin Awards book. It was published between the year 2000 and 2010, and literally it was just basically saying uh, these are people, there was all these stories in this book of people that did absolutely idiotic, stupid things, some of them actually to their death, which is why they were like, man, maybe we shouldn't publish this anymore, but then the publisher was saying, no, it's so stupid that I'm publishing it, so hopefully nobody else ever does this again. Basically, the reason of Darwin, they were removing themselves from the gene pool in humanity, thus raising our collective IQ. That was just the thought of the book. But the point of the matter is, is this book stopped being published in 2010. And the reason I believe so is because to be foolish and unwise is now a road to popularity. I don't need a book about it. I just need to know that I can capture it with my mobile device and post it and stay alive so that I can increase my followership on TikTok or Instagram or whatever and maybe even get some monetary gain so as long as I'm able to live, being foolish and catching it on my video is actually normal human behavior. That's what we do. Man, look how stupid this is that I just did. We make people laugh and we, and we feel like people are noticing us, but is being foolish becoming behavior of a Christ follower? How should the people of God, the church, be viewed in the world around us? That's what I'm talking about. In the last year, year and a half, two years, is the church viewed as wise and full of wisdom or are we viewed no differently than anybody else? And this is where I believe we can and should be different. God's called us to a higher place. So today is the first Sunday in this series that we're going to be doing called Where is the Wisdom? Folly, Fanatics, and Fools. Let's start by reading James chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. See, James even did it right here. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Lord, we pray that you'd bless your word. May we apply it in our lives. See, in context, the first part of James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, is all talking about the tongue, how powerful the tongue is and what we say and how much damage can be done. Dealing with that power, James is saying our speech reveals the real attitude of our hearts. Most commentators say James is like an Old Testament writer. It's like an Old Testament book, how it speaks directly to how we are to live and what we are to do. And so I'm going to give an even broader context and back all the way up to James chapter 1, verse 19. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to come back to 3.13, but I want to read this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, 
and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Woo, that's hard. And I think the church has missed this a lot. See, James makes sure he's got everybody's attention right here. He says, take note of this. That's the nice way of saying, shut up and listen. Right? The reception of the word demands a readiness to listen to the word. Reluctance to listening will block your acceptance of the truth. Listening demands restrained speech. Let's call it verbal self-control. This is what listening does, that I just stop talking enough to listen. And we all know what an incessant talker does when we're trying to have a conversation with them. We don't get a word in edgewise. An incessant talker is never listening because they're always talking. And by the same token, we will never hear God if all we do is talk. Matter of fact, as a side note, when you spend time praying, you should spend more time listening to God than you are talking out loud to God. How much time do you spend in the quiet of the moment? And I know it's hard just listening for the voice of the Lord, that he would speak to us, speak to me, God, more than I have to speak as if I know more than him. Finally, there's a restraint of anger that's demanded in this verse in chapter one. Why? Because when you are angry, it closes your mind to God's truth. That's why we come up with, you're being irrational. You're being irrational, why? Because anger has taken you to such a place that you're closing off your mind to the truth of God. A fiercely argumentative attitude is not conducive to the humble receptivity of truth. I'm telling you, church, some of us are so argumentative that James is saying argumentative people will never walk in wisdom. Why? Because wisdom listens. I can't listen if I'm too busy arguing my point. Wisdom listens and wisdom learns. James is saying, listen to those who are wise in the area that they have wisdom in, whatever that is. And that could be natural, like this person is good at wise at this because they spent many years going to school and expertise in that area. Or this person could be very wise in this. For example, I'm in a master's program right now. I have a teacher, Dr. Elaine Bernius, who's teaching me Old Testament. And you know what I'm doing? I'm going into that class and I'm listening to Dr. Elaine because she studied the Old Testament. She's got a doctorate in studies in the Old Testament and I can learn something from her. So I listen. I can learn. So the Bible says wisdom listens. James is saying listen to those who are wise around you. He's also saying listen to those in authority over you that God has put in your life. Well, that's a little bit self-aggrandizing, Pastor Brent. I'm just saying no. It's not me saying this. This is the Bible saying this. Not blindly, but humbly and openly listen to the leaders that God has put over you. And Scripture says so it will go well with you. Basically, don't be uncooperative. That's the nice way of saying don't be stubborn. Don't be uncooperative. Then in verse 20, we see the reason for this exhortation in verse 19. Our anger will not produce the righteous life that God desires. How many times in your life have you experienced the fact that your anger has not produced righteousness? 
An angry attitude is not the atmosphere in which righteousness flourishes and grows. But what Paul, what James says in chapter 3 that we just read in verse 18 is that peacemakers who sow peace will raise a harvest of righteousness. That's what wisdom produces. If you scan the landscape of Scripture, you can also see James emphasizing what Proverbs says in the wisdom literature that hopefully we'll look at throughout this series. Wisdom says be slow to speak and quick to listen, James. Because Proverbs says where there's a multitude of words, sin is unavoidable or it's going to happen. And if anything describes our culture today, it is a multitude of words. Yeah. Like, not just what we're saying, but what we're posting and what we're ranting about and what we're videoing. It's just a multitude of words because we're not listening, so sin is unavoidable. As a matter of fact, culturally speaking, in the West, our context is so different than, say, cultural context in the East. We were learning about this in a class that I'm in with 19 different nations of people, right? And they're like, in our nation, we're looking to speak over people. That's what we do. We talk on top of each other all the time. Why? Because we're not listening. And so then I get in the class with people from Korea and the Far East and in the Mideast, and, and all of a sudden, there's these long pauses. They're just listening and they're thinking, and for me, I'm like, okay, I got to fill this up. We got to talk. We talk on top of each other. And here's the problem. When we're not listening to each other, we can't empathize with each other. And when we can't empathize with each other, how can we respond with wisdom? Because we have no idea what to do and what to say because we weren't listening to begin with. We should listen more than we talk so that we can empathize with people and operate wisely. A multitude of words brings about sin. See, the truth of the matter is, as Christians, we should be listening more, speaking less. And this, although the first part of James chapter 3, it looks like James is speaking to teachers, here's the thing you need to know. He's not just talking to teachers of the word, although he is talking to teachers of the word. He's also exhorting all of us as Christians, the body of Christ, anybody who wants to live a righteous life as Christians, that should be us that we would be wise in how we respond and what we do. But if the truth be told, we all think we're teachers. We really do. We all think we know a little bit more about everything than we really do know. Don't act like you don't. You think you know more than me right now about what I'm talking about. <laughs> See, we think we're experts on things that we have no real experience or studies in at all. None. The old Holiday Inn Express commercial maybe years ago that y'all remember is like, you know, are you a doctor? No, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. That, that, that's us. That's like the culture at large. Because of social media and the things that we could do on the internet, all of a sudden we think we are experts in our own minds. Sharing our opinions as facts sharing our convictions as absolute truths while listening to no one else with any contrary idea that might be more wise than us in this area. And that, my friends, the Bible says is unwise. Oh, so you're an infectious disease expert. No, but I did watch a few YouTube videos and I religiously follow whatever, fill in the blank, CNN or Fox, I'll offend everybody. I watch that news channel all the time. 
oh, so, so you're a foreign policies expert. No, but I did do a Google search on the subject and I read a few articles on Wikipedia and I honestly think that I should be the next Secretary of State. Oh, so you're a marriage and parenting expert. <laughs> no, but I do have a TikTok channel with a lot of followers. <laughs> Duh. So we just keep talking and talking and videoing and videoing and talking, not listening. Why? Because I'm an influencer. I'm a unique individual that has a unique personality and a unique perspective. I'm an American. I'm a Christian. But if the latter is true, James says, Listen more than you speak. And when you do speak, let your life speak louder than your words. See, it's not that verse 13 is it coming to our rescue and saying, well, how do we do this? Here's what James says. He concludes with it. Who is wise and understanding among you? Because I hear a bunch of people saying you're wise and understanding. It's like, who's wise and understanding among you? Because I see a lot of posts and I see a lot of videos like you're an expert and a specialist in the area. But he says this, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So we often think about wisdom in terms of like a bearded sage type like me. And, okay, first, first service laughed way more at that than you did. But wisdom is not necessarily seen through what we say and more seen through how we live. This is true today. Don't tell me how much you know. Show me how much you know. Isn't this what James says throughout? That's why it's like an Old Testament book. Don't tell me how much faith you have, show me how much faith you have by your works. Don't tell me how wise you are, show me how wise you are by your decisions. He's just saying, show me. That's why so many commentators believe that James came originally from the state of Missouri. Catch up. Missouri, show me state, okay, whatever. That's my dad joke for the day. The word for understanding here, he's saying be wise. Being wise is skillfully applying knowledge to practical living. The word right there, wise and understanding in verse 13 is used only here in the New Testament and it means a specialist or a professional who could skillfully apply his area or her area of expertise to practical situations. People with understanding should possess know-how. That's what James is saying. And be skilled in applying what? God's truth to practical, everyday living and decisions. James is asking, who's truly skilled in the art of righteous living? Who's truly skilled at it? Living done in humility, gentleness, and meekness. That's what he says. The wisdom, the humility that comes from wisdom. That's meekness. That's strength under control. What? The control of the Holy Spirit. That leads to true wisdom. And once we see that there are two kinds of wisdom, mine or God's, we will choose correctly, hopefully, by the Spirit of God to follow God's wisdom. That's what James says. Wisdom that comes from above. This is the wisdom we all desperately need. 
all day, every day. I'm telling you, there are so many decisions that you are faced with even now. Some of you, like you're just, you're, you're, you're like me. You're, you're anxious about it. You're, you're worrying about it. And the Bible, you already know what the Bible says about anxiety and worry, but you're like, God, I don't know what to do. And the wisdom that comes from God is the wisdom that you need. How many decisions do you face every day that you can't go to the Bible and verbatim go, well, what should I do with my child on this one? Okay, well, how, how should, I'm, I want to spend this on that. Where, where does it say I should, should or shouldn't buy that? Uh, what? There's all kinds of decisions every single day where the Bible doesn't speak to the specifics of the complex issues of your life, but it does tell you that you need the wisdom of God to make that decision for your priorities, your parenting, your money, your politics, your career choices, the college you're gonna attend. And for those decisions and thousands more down to what you say, post, or even like that somebody else posted throughout your life, you're gonna need the wisdom from above God's wisdom to help you discern and get the righteous decision for every decision that you face let's give a working definition of wisdom wisdom is the quality of discerning what is true what is ethically right and what should be done in different situations God's wisdom is advisement for everyday choices in life God's counsel for our daily conundrums if you will and we have them. Like some of you have got a daily conundrum on Sundays. It's like what you're going to eat when you leave here. There are wise choices and unwise ones. Or stupid ones. Foolish ones. We all know this to be true. The more complex the choice, the more confusing the conundrum, the more wisdom that I need. And James is telling us, and we know by experience, we will daily come to these natural forks in the road of life where we're either choosing wisdom from God, wisdom from above, or wisdom from below, our human wisdom. And sometimes it's not a choice between something that is wrong or bad. It's just what is God's wisdom in this decision? Let's go on to verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. The Greek term for bitter there was used to describe something like undrinkable water. So when you combine bitter with envy, it's like, but if you harbor envy, that's bad enough. But he's saying if you harbor bitter envy, it defines a harsh, resentful attitude towards other people. He's saying when you have a harsh, resentful attitude towards other people, guess what? You're not going to be able to hear wisdom. The truth of the matter is you cannot receive from those that you resent. And you know what I found about God? that the test of my humility oftentimes is he wants to see if I'll be willing to hear from those that I resent. Oh no, I can learn. And I'm not talking about just resent in life, maybe just resent in that situation, resent in that moment. Oh, I can learn something from my wife in this moment. I can learn something from my kids in this moment. I can learn something from my friend at this moment. I can learn something from my enemy at this moment. That's humility. And because wisdom is so intrinsically tied to humility, you will find God will see if we are wise and understanding enough to receive from people that we can often resent. James goes on to say, I know that's a challenge. If you have selfish ambition in your hearts or you're self-seeking, sometimes that's translated as strife. It's selfish ambition that produces antagonism. It produces factionalism. 
The Greek word for selfish ambition came to describe, listen to this, this is so crazy. It came to describe anyone who entered politics for selfish reasons and sought to achieve their agenda at any cost, even if that meant trampling on others. Fortunately, our politics are not like that at all today. Man, when I read that, I was like, what? That type of strife that unwise decisions make January 6th of 2021? That no matter what, that anger doesn't produce righteousness and that to my own faction and what I believe to be true at the expense of trampling on other people. Unwise doesn't produce righteousness. I don't care how much it's within your rights. It doesn't produce righteousness. James goes on to say where this type of wisdom comes from. He's saying, listen, this type of wisdom that I'm talking about that produces strife and it's self-seeking, where does it come from? It does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. There's this ever-increasing description of how bad it is when we don't follow the wisdom of God. Such wisdom, he says in parentheses, which is human wisdom, evaluates everything by worldly standards. It's not looking at it the way God looks at it. How's this gonna benefit me? How's this gonna make me look better? How am I gonna gain from this decision? What helps me out? What makes me look the best? That's the decision I'm gonna make. And we've all been there. But make no mistake about it, this type of human wisdom is not neutral. It's not inconsequential. That's why James describes it thoroughly, and he does this by arranging the source of this wisdom. In that verse, if you see that, this escalating crescendo of wickedness, earthbound, unspiritual, demonic. Earthbound, meaning it's your flesh. It's not, it's not the spirit of God. Unspiritual, going on and saying the same thing. This isn't the spirit of God that's controlling you anymore. It's your own fleshly desires. And he's saying, don't fool yourself into thinking this type of attitude is in concert with God. That's a lie. Then he closes it off by saying it's demonic. And that word there, that Greek word there is so rare, it appears nowhere else in scripture except right here. And there are two options as to its meaning. That the teaching that James is warning about that is still prevalent today, even in the church, is derivative, has behavior that is instigated by demons and the unwholesome spiritual world. Or the behavior depicted here is similar to that of demons. And I believe it's both. And I want you to notice next the effects of our earthly wisdom on the body of Christ. If we ever think that the decisions that we make and the words that we say only affect us, of course that's not true, but James makes it very clear that we think too individually as if our opinions and our rants and our words and our strong beliefs and our earthly wisdom have no real impact on the body of Christ. Foolishness doesn't just beget foolishness, it creates Division, that's what James says. It is unwise to believe that we could say and do whatever we want without the wisdom of God, without causing collateral damage in the church, the body of Christ. That's what he says in verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you're gonna find disorder and every evil practice. This earthbound, unspiritual, demonic character of this wisdom, human wisdom, is evident from the effects that it has on the life of the church. In order to make this point, James reiterates the two character traits displayed in the lives of those who are wrongly claiming to be wise. 
envy and selfish ambition. Basically, he's saying this is going to cause there to be a restlessness and an unsettled state in that person and in the body of Christ. And I can't think of more appropriate description of so many people in the church, particularly over the last year and a half, because of saying and doing unwise things that we were restless and unsettled. Just, I'm unsettled. Well, because that wasn't wise. It was foolish. This disorder that he's saying is going to come is going to break out. He's saying it's bound to break out even in the church where people are pursuing their own selfish concerns and their own partisan causes rather than looking out for the good and protecting the body and the unity of Christ in the church. And I also believe James is saying when leaders in the church do this, it's dangerous because those are the people that others are looking to to make wise choices, act on wise counsel. And whenever we, if you have a leadership position or as leaders in the body, act on the basis of personal agendas or one-upmanship toward one another, great damage in the church follows. James says disorder follows. And this damage takes the form, he says, of every kind of evil practice. Basically, every worthless or vile work that you can think of comes out of operating in our human wisdom. Basically, nothing good's going to come out of it. That's some bad, bad stuff. And that's why I love the scripture because it takes us to the place where we go, well, what in the world are we gonna do? And then there's that but in the Bible, the big B-U-T right there, right? But when the Holy Spirit invades a person, that's what comes next in verse 17. He cleanses the heart. He enables us to submit our human nature to God and he gives us the grace to choose wisdom or wise course of action that actually promotes peace instead of disorder. James gives us a list of all the virtues that describe a person who resists the temptation to exalt himself in his own wisdom and to revel in the failure of others, but instead chooses the wisdom of God and it produces peace. It fashions a beautiful community called the body of Christ. What does it look like? A harmonious, holy community that manifests God's perfect design. That's what we are supposed to be, church. A harmonious, holy community that manifests God's perfect design. So that's what he says in verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Just quickly, what is, man, there's so much there. Pure, what's that? It's not sexual purity. It's the absence of any sinful attitude or motive. That's pure. It's pure water. It's not bitter water. It's pure drinking water. The living water of Christ that satisfies. That's the type of wisdom that it produces something that is pure. That's the type of wisdom James is talking about. It's peace-loving. That's in contrast to the bitter spirit of competitiveness and selfish ambition that we see described in verse 14. Then he says it's considerate. Man, that's a, that's a powerful word. It's the disposition of God as king, that he is kind, although in reality he has every reason to be punitive towards us. And he's saying, if you belong to me, if you are a Christian, then you're to have the same gentle, God-like quality, not insisting on our legal rights, but exercising love's leniency in our relationships. Consider it which is usually associated with justice, especially with the administration of justice, and suggests somebody who does not abuse a position of power but remains calm and true to the highest ideals that they've been given in that position of power. 
Nobody manifested this better than Jesus Christ, who had the highest position of power and yet served as a humble servant. Likewise, it says godly wisdom is submissive. It's the quality that's opposite of stubborn and self-seeking. It's a readiness to yield. Submissive can mean trusting and easily persuaded. It does not indicate a person without convictions. It does not indicate a person who is easily swayed to do something wrong, but rather it conjures the image of a clear-headed, thinking, and intuitive person who recognizes the truth when they hear it, and they're willing to receive it in humble submission. Man, if that would describe all of us, submissive. Together they denote this both gentle and reasonable position that we all have whether we're in authority or whether we're in subservient position, to be submissive. Furthermore, God says wisdom is full of mercy and good fruit. That is, it's compassionate. It's always ready to help those who are in need. It's impartial, shows no favoritism, discriminating against no one. Wisdom then is without double-mindedness. It possesses a singularity of purpose, and it's to trust God. And then finally, he says, wisdom is sincere. It means without hypocrisy. His concept of wisdom is thoroughly practical, meaning godly wisdom produces godly actions, and godly actions produce godly results. And that's what the closing verse says in 18. It says this, what? Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness that's the result the result of godly wisdom is righteousness and peace see if this sounds any different than what jesus said in matthew 7 likewise every good tree bears good fruit but a bad tree bears bad fruit and in his final comment james is not surprisingly focusing on peace given the discord of the church it's not surprising that we would focus on peace in the church and talk about unity in the church given the discord in the body of christ righteousness and peace are regularly linked together in the old testament and now they're linked together here in james and he's helping us to see this truth you will know what kind of wisdom you or someone else is operating in by the fruit that it produces is it peace is it submissive is it all the things we just read in verse 17. Godly wisdom is applied knowledge that bears the fruit of righteousness. That's what it is. Does that remind you of the two choices that we had at the very beginning of this thing called creation? Right? At the very beginning, we had two choices. Trust God or lean on our own understanding. We could let God define what was good and evil or we could say, you know what, I'm wise enough to figure out what's good and evil. I'll just take and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as if God can inform me of what is good and evil. And every single day we're posed with that same decision, I think, over and over again as to whether or not I'm going to decide what's good and evil, if I'm going to decide what's right, if I'm going to decide what's true, if I'm going to decide what's wise, or I'm going to trust God to inform me as to what is wise, righteous, true, good, holy, pure, considerate, submissive, all of those things. And wisdom from above is marked by meekness and the freedom from selfish ambition, freedom from bitter jealousy, freedom from boasting. In other words, watch this. Wisdom rises in relationships of humility. Relationships of love, relationships of servanthood rather than jealousy and selfishness. That's why the body of Christ, you have to learn wisdom within the body. Wisdom is not an individualistic, solitary achievement. 
Wisdom doesn't mean I'm going to go off by myself and just read even my Bible for the rest of my life. I won't become wise that way. It's a corporate and relational accomplishment. Loners are not wise. There was a song many years ago said, lonely people do foolish things. Wisdom is given and found and forged in the fires of the committed relationships that God has given and blessed us with within the body of Christ. That's why it takes humility to listen even from someone that I might even be resenting. I like how one pastor defined wisdom. Wisdom is the ability of the soul to perceive God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, gospel-fashioned, people-helping ways to live with the knowledge God gives us. See, amazingly, when the church makes wise and righteous decisions together that lead to unity and peace, Ephesians 3.10 says the manifold wisdom of God is made known to everybody. What was the manifold wisdom of God? That Jews and Gentiles, people that would have never going to worship together, never going to go to church together, never going to like each other, were actually now made one in the body. That was the manifold wisdom of God Paul was speaking of in Ephesians 3.10. Now you and I, as people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic disparities, we come together as one, and in wisdom we respond to one another, and that fruit of that wisdom is peace and righteousness and love and unity, and it displays the manifold, which means the multifaceted, like a diamond, shining the light of Christ to the world around us. This is the wisdom of God, that people that would never be together in any other place in life can come together and worship Jesus together. That's the manifold wisdom of God. You know what I love about you in focus? You look wise when you come together and worship with one another to the God of our creation, to the God of our salvation. There's the manifold wisdom of God being displayed through us. And the Bible tells us in Colossians that the wisdom of God is not hidden from us, it's hidden for us in Christ. I want us to be wise in focus to display the manifold wisdom of God in the earth to any who are willing to see what God is doing in and through your lives, being submitted to Christ and listening to him and to one another in the body of Christ. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.